Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. Gentlemen, we have a problem. We are Revenge of the 80s Kids, and well, the 80s are gone. We've done all the films. So where are we now? The 90s. We are bereft. We are strangers in a strange land. We are scratching for relevance. We are without anchor. We are a cast. We are adrift. Gentlemen, we must rebrand. We must adapt to our new environment. We must evolve. Sirs, I propose we rename the podcast Return of the 90s Bros. Applause, please. Uh, I think, to be fair, uh, to be properly 90s, it would have to be Return of the 90s Bros Extreme. That's what we, you know, that's nice. Yeah, Uh, but we're not going to do that because, Mm. Ian, we are 80s kids. We're 80s kids who lived through the 90s, and that is our anchor. That is our guide. That is where we will be going uh, for the next 10 years of, of filmic entertainment. But maybe maybe in order to set your mind straight and, and prepare you for the rocky road ahead, uh, myself and, uh, and, of course, Justin, who is over here. Hello. Hello, yes. Hello. He is. He's sort of over there. Kind of half paying attention to the 1990s, as indeed most of us did. If we just... <laughs> Take a quick run through the supermarket aisles of the 1990s superstore and and quickly pile things into our trolley. Maybe that will focus us as 80s kids. Because, to be honest, one of the questions that uh, that I was, uh, you know, is foremost in my mind after the 80s and the the massive love that we have shown over the past several months for that particular decade. The question is: Are we just old? Are we just uh, tinted with the lenses of nostalgia? You know, is the fact that we're kind of dreading go, stepping through the 1990s a real reflection of the quality of cinema during that decade? Or, in fact, are we just, you know, too old to understand what they were trying to transmit back then in those days of neon colours, rave music and uh, indeed extreme products? Uh, presumably, oh. presumably, if you find that the answer is the latter, uh, this will be the termination of our podcast. I'm just saying that to raise some dramatic tension. Yes, that's good. Well, we'll resolve this by the end of the show, obviously. I will keep an answer in my hat until the end of that. So let us let us uh, emerge blinking into the, the daylight of 1990, or as you like to call it, Ian, 1980-10. Hmm. Indeed, that is a very appropriate title for this particular year, as our show on the subject will, will demonstrate uh, after this. But, uh, assuming that the podcast continues... But where were you in 1990? Let's go for Justin. We haven't heard from Justin. Was I? Where um, were you in 1990? What were so, you doing? Um, I would have been um, at college, ready to move on to... Uh, I thought I was in the process of going to Swindon, would you believe, for my sins, 
for an HMD course in illustration. They've been bad sins. <laughs> You're promoting yourself to Swindon. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah, Swindon's the next circle out from Slough, where so Satan kind of, lives. Oh, sorry. I'm a bit of a flagellant. I like to put myself through excruciating pain occasionally, so sending myself to such places is all part of the parcel of my masochistic tendencies. But um, So yes, this would have been, um, I guess it would have been this year I would have been going, I think 1990, was when I was there. So um, yes, it was kind of a scary, you know, leaving home um, out into the wide world, Kind of. Well, that, uh, would have been, that would have been. Would that have been the September of 1990 or uh, October? That kind of time. Uh, yes, that would have been. So what that. did you? What so, have you been doing at the beginning of the year? Uh, well, I was still would have been, I did a kind of foundation foundation course before then, so I would still ah. be in college doing, you know, uh, dabbling in various artistic things. So, right. Quite a, quite a creative time, I think, um, for me. Okay, so uh, you were you were immersed in the world of academia and then yeah. later in the year immersed in the world of freshers week yes. so we won't ask about that because this is uh, <laughs> animal house memories but, uh, it's more swindon so i wouldn't get too <laughs> let's not romanticize it too much but i'll maybe i do but uh, hey, what happens in swindon probably isn't worth talking about <laughs> <laughs> hey there's a magic roundabout in swindon that's not uh, <laughs> Let's not ignore it. So, Ian, hmm? 1990, where were you? I was what still in school. I was, I'm the youngest of you guys. I was, oh, I was still going to be in school for, like, years yet to come. Oh, I was going to be in school for years yet to come. Oh, God, I was just in school, guys. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, I, I was, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It, it's like, I would have been 15, so, and, and I would have turned 15 this year, so it would have been the first year of my GCSEs. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a definite thing. If you're not going to a therapist about it then, and you're not going to a therapist about it now, and all you've got to say is that you were in school, I think that counts you as one of those people who passed through school, as opposed to one of those people who was horribly victimised in school, in which case you would have gone for therapy about it then, or one of those people who, to this day, is like... Those were the happiest days of my life. No, I, I, I wouldn't the say they were the, the happiest world. days of my life, um, but certainly there are more miserable days in the past, so it's kind of on an even keel. Uh, to make you feel really old, Justin, ancient, creaky and dusty, uh, this was the year I became a teenager for the first time. Oh, um, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, also, I'm a, of course, I have, a, as previously stated, ad nauseum in previous podcasts, I have a much older brother, so he basically left home to go to his own university so it was just me and my mum at home so there was more space for me domestically so I, I, I suppose I was in a much more comfortable space in that regard but yeah 90 is cruising along it's school I had friends I, I was kind of a I wasn't a swap because I wasn't doing that well academically but I was I was one of the better behaved students where I wasn't you know bullied I can't honestly say I was ever bullied. I mean, occasionally people picked on me, but that's because it was school. People were stuck there mandatorily by law, and they weren't happy about it. And occasionally, I was in their way. But other than that, no, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's the same thing. I mean, I, I I would have been doing... If I was doing my GCSEs, then 1990 would have been the year... I mean, well... Uh, the September previous, 1989, so by this time it was well underway, that um, I stepped into the uh, world of GCSE drama, which means that I think I did drama in the year before as well, because they what they did was, in the school where I was at, 
you obviously have uh, five years to get to the end of the GCSEs. And they didn't have a drama department until I was in the what is now year nine for our younger listeners, or the third year, as we called it, because the, the, they just couldn't offer it to the, the, the younger school because the teacher, we had one drama teacher, and he couldn't physically run a GCSE and all the A-levels and offer uh, drama to all of the other children right away because the, the school just wasn't set up for it. But what he they did as a sort of compromise was if you were in the third year, the first time you got options, you were allowed to do a year of taster drama to decide if you wanted to do the GCSE. So I had actually probably been doing drama for a year at this stage and uh, and was going on then to the GCSE in this year, which was uh, pretty cool. So yes, this has been the first time that I got distracted, uh, as anyone who may know me will know, today I'm a software developer. But uh, this is the first time I strayed from that path and went down a completely different path at all. So that was probably the defining moment, was the fact that, yes, when you get into that sort of thing, if you're committed to a sort of drama class, then, you know, it kind of infects other parts of your life because you sort of start doing school plays and and eventually end up doing sort of a media course at Swansea College. So if it were not for the fact that our school had retained the services of a drama teacher in my third year at school in 1989, me and Ian would never have met. How bizarre is that? But uh, it's 1990, and uh, there's things out at the, the, the cinema all year. Now, Justin, you had actually a comment about this, which I'll, I'll address after we've been through our 1990 films to get on to the next. But um, 1990, in my head, uh, is kind of like an extension of the 1980s, because it's a very yeah. 1980s year. And we're all going to pick out just... This doesn't necessarily reflect our favourite film of the year or anything that's potentially going to be in our top five of the 90s when we get that far through it. But um, for me, I guess 1990, would have I'd have to remember the fuss about Ghost, personally. Right, OK. Because that was one of those things. And these don't happen anymore because of the tough environment of film release schedules. But if you remember back to then, Ghost came into the cinema as a sort of little B-picture kind of thing that was going to be there and gone in the next wind. And it sat in the cinemas for months because it was absolutely enormous. Yeah. And and just, I remember everybody, oh, you have to go, I've been to see Ghost four times and, you know, what have you. And just, yes, I remember the fuss around that movie, which we shall discuss more in our 1990 show. But that's the kind of, I think that's the film that really sticks in my head uh, from that point of view. That was the big film of this year in my head. Justin, you're a big fan uh, for you. Well, that for year? me, well, I, it, this is not. This is something I, just in terms of. I had quite a few cinematic experiences in the nineties, and so this one, <laughs> this latest film, is just one of those. So Total Recall, okay, which is one of those films I can watch again and again to this day. The original, yeah. And I remember vividly. So I mean, I would, I was, I was still living with families before I was going going away, um, and it was science fiction. I didn't know much about it. Uh, my mum hates science fiction, but we were all out on one occasion. I'm there with my parents. I'm like, let's go and see. Let's go see Total Recall. It's science fiction, right? So, and my mum, who doesn't like any violence or anything at all, and even doesn't <laughs> like sci-fi, 
at that point, she's much, but she doesn't. She now puts her foot down on things. But at that point, she went along just to keep us all happy. My dad is like me, like science fiction. So we go along to this film, and I'm sitting there with my hand in my hand, <laughs> my head in my hands, going, "Why have I dragged my mum into this?" My mum just looked, <laughs> looked horrified. Ultra violent, <laughs> three-breasted <laughs> sequence in this film is is vividly in my head right now. It's, it's all the things my mum hate. You know, my mum, the ideal. Film for my mum is something like you know brief encounters. It's 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 a little bit farther away than that. So it was like um, yes. So I remember coming out of that thinking mm. at the time I was I was so traumatized by that what I might have done to my mum that I wasn't even thinking about the film. I grew to love the film, but at the time I was like oh. <laughs> that shows my that's so my unique experience of so film. The, into film. There's Ronnie Cox. Gasping on the surface of Mars, you glance yes. over to your mother, and yes. her eyes are popping yes. out of her head as well. <laughs> Ian, how are you going to follow that? <laughs> well, I went to the cinema with my mum, and I saw Ghost 2, and I thought it was a fairly big deal when I saw it. My mum liked the film as well, so, you know, it's always nice. I always find it a nice barometer if my parents can watch something as well, and they like it. I always kind of find that an interesting soundboard. But for a film, I kind of, because it's the sort of age where I now start to go see films on my own without parental assistance or yes. necessarily with friends, I remember seeing Arachnophobia, and and for a thirteen year old that was kind of that was that was kind of, that was kind of cool, dude. That was a cool film, because you know spiders are creepy. I mean, I don't have a huge spider fear. I don't like the buggers, but I'm not terrified of them. I'm in Australia right now, so I have cause to be so. But uh, I remember coming out of that and going, well, I'm all right with that. But I have, it was it was like a PG rating, wasn't it? Yes, wasn't, it was. Yeah, I was like, I'm surprised it's a PG. Because, because but then you think about it and go, it's just spiders, and then an actor going, I've been bitten. Ugh. You know, when you think about it, it isn't actually that gruesome, but the creepiness of it, I thought, would that, have made. I remember that that film was huge, and and in retrospect, unlike Ghost, which still kind of holds up to date, to be discussed again, Arachnophobia was huge for no particular reason, really. It's not a warmly cherished. You know, classic about people don't go. Hey, let's stay in tonight and watch Arachnophobia. It's not really. It was. Well, I, th- I, th- I think once you've lived through the, you know, the, the, the ghost train once, it's it's not so scary to go through the second time. Whereas Ghost is an emotional journey, so yes. I think that's a, that's probably the reason. I mean, Ghost is certainly, I think, the, the big signature film of the year. Yeah. But as an alternative to Ghost, I offer Arachnophobia as the experience of a thirteen-year-old boy. Yes, so, I mean, uh, Justin, you were saying earlier, and this is uh, possibly the point, if we move on to 1991, 1991 is where I think, you know, we could probably see the influence of the 90s starting to come in. You were saying that cinema itself suffered a little in the 90s. My memory of the 90s, certainly the early 90s, was that um, things were in a bad state, actually, with, with cinemas. This is before the kind of the multiplexes really had come into their own. So, so everywhere cinemas were closing and being turned into bingo halls and various things. It was rather depressing, actually, if you were a fan, a cinema going that. And so cinemas were becoming less. There was a huge, obviously, the DVDs had, had kind of kicked in. And so people were just watching a lot of stuff at home. So really, it just felt rather depressing, I think. Maybe in honour of maybe in honour of this, in 1991, could we all uh, name a film that we actually did go to the cinema to watch in 1991? Yes, I can. We all can. Right. Uh, that would be Terminator 2, presumably. 
Yes, I did, I did go and watch Terminator 2 in the cinema, but I went to see something else as well. So we shall discuss Terminator 2 briefly at this time. You went to the cinema. In fact, in, rather than concentrate on Terminator 2 itself, where did you go and see it? And who with, Ian? I went and saw it with my dad. Now, cast your mind back. And a few podcasts ago, you said, Ian, have you seen The Rocketeer? And I replied, of course. And you went, what do you mean, of course? I only saw it recently. There's no of course about it. The reason for me that The Rocketeer is, and of course, is because I went and saw Terminator 2 with my dad. And he took me into the cinema, and he went to the counter to you know, buy the tickets and said, one and a half, please, because I was 14 at the time. And of course, it's a 15-rated movie. So we could now not see Terminator 2 at that particular cinema. Off we go to watch The Rocketeer instead. So there's my Rocketeer story. So I, I did see. I, told, I saw T two with my dad whilst he was over on holidays visiting the UK, and uh, he, he was. He think he enjoyed the film as well because he, he likes a bit of science fiction like that. Justin, what did you see at the cinema? In- uh, well, this is interesting. I can. I can go. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Well, maybe the most amusing anecdote. I, I, well, briefly, I went to see Cape Fear as a date movie. I was not very. Really <laughs> I don't advise to ever go and see Cape Fear as a date movie. Just, just the same there. <laughs> um, I think probably the thing that had an impact as an artist for me um, was Beauty and the Beast, I think. This was the return of Disney. And I was a huge Disney fan and mourned the loss during the 80s. You know, it, it got pretty bleak. There was some pretty... Uh, yeah, it was it was in the doldrums, really. So this it, Beauty and the Beast turns up. I, at the time, me and my mates were kind of wildly in love with the main character and uh, moving swiftly on. Um, but um, it was, uh, yeah, so it, for me, it was like, oh, my God, because I was, I, I could see the artistry, and I got kind of, I was taken back to a time I remember as a kid, and actually, you know, for, for a time being, they, they, were, they were producing some great stuff in the 90s. So, yeah, this was the start of that, so that kind of had an impact on me and thought about what I might want to do with my, with my skills um, because I was just... Um, uh, inspired. You, you say you say um you say that uh, Beauty and the Beast is the return of Disney. I thought Little Mermaid was the return of Disney to animation. Yeah, so certainly that was the start of it. But for me, a Little Mermaid wasn't really. I guess because it was, it's a quite a girly kind of picture. So even though I didn't really kind of take to it, there was something about it that I I saw it and I was like, okay, this is interesting. I can see this happening. But I think they found their feet properly with Beauty and the Beast. They kind of did the, pro- the the big musical. Well, that's the one they turned into a stage musical. Yeah, and it's, it's, it? it's so. you can, and you know, uh, and you can see that, you know, because those a lot of the, uh, the the 90s Disney films were very much treated as a musical, and that was that was the smart move because clearly, you know, the the approach they had tried to do had kind of fallen out of favour. Whereas, you know, everyone loves, you know, or a lot of people like that kind of Broadway feeling. So. That was a smart thing. So yeah, I thought it was, and it, and it is classic. You know, it's it's a proper princess uh, fairy tale story. So, but it had other things. I, I I was being I was I was the music and everything else. And the characters were great. I was like you say, I was kind of inspired by that at that ta- at that stage. I, I mean, I, looking over the list, I, I'm amazed by how many things I didn't go and see at the cinema in uh, 1991. But, but I was going to go with one which i'll come to probably in the 1991 show but instead i'm going to tell you my uh, highlander 2 story because uh, i went to see that in the cinema 
Now, the thing about it is that um, what everyone has to understand oh. is that unless you went to the video store and hired Highlander, which I never did, really. People yeah. kept telling me, oh, Highlander's good. But yeah. it, it, as we the famous saying, it never came up. I just really... I didn't know what it was about. Nobody could really explain the plot to me before I saw it. And looking at the back of the, the, the box, I couldn't really see a point to it. So I just never bothered to rent it out. And then Highlander 2 came out and it had a nice poster and I was at a loose end. So I went to see Highlander 2 at the cinema and you know what? It came out. thought, well, that was fun. thought Michael Ironside was fun. thought it was fun. That was it. Didn't really think much more of it. Of course, history has changed the perspective somewhat on that movie. Um, But it is, I mean, this was a time, I remember, looking at the list of movies that came out, that rather than going to the cinema, which was probably quite an expensive business for a 16-year-old lad, really, so I had to pick and choose what I went to see at the cinema rather carefully, I instead bought the Empire magazine. And so I remember the pictures and the spreads and the writing about the films in Empire magazine. But I think at that time I wasn't going to the cinema so much as sitting in and watching videos. So I watched a lot of stuff on video, but I didn't really go to the cinema to see very much at all. And one of the things that I did pay ticket money for was Highlander 2. And at the time I enjoyed it. So, yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Probably best to to move straight on to 1992 at this stage. Uh, Which, if I'm correct, Ian, will put you in your GCSEs at this stage. Yes, it's probably a good thing too because I'm just looking over this list. I was too young to watch Reservoir Dogs, From the Siege, too young, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, too young. Actually, probably been about right, but I didn't see that. Uh, Basic Instinct, too young, Alien 3, too young. I remember being um, terribly excited that Alien 3 was coming. Um, I'm looking over 1992 and nothing is jumping out at me. I'm like, I must have seen uh, some films this year. uh, did I take the year off? Oh, Batman Returns. Batman Returns. There we are. You went to see it at the cinema. I saw it to see it with my brother, and and oh. uh, basically I came out of there going, you know, if I was, I never walked out in a film before, but I thought about walking out of Batman Returns, and my brother said, well, I was thinking about walking out as well, but I didn't because you were there. So we bonded over hating Batman Returns. <laughs> okay, uh, why particularly? I think we were just both thoroughly bored. <laughs> right. You okay. that was bad. You were in for some treats. <laughs> so that's fair play, I suppose. Justin, uh, did you go to the cinema in 1990? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was at college, so obviously, and uh, I was still seeing films with my friends then. So um, I would say, um, yeah, Brother War Dogs did have somewhat of an impact uh, at college. That was, you know, that was a... I hadn't seen a film like that before. That was kind of interesting. But actually, the thing that was absolutely spot on who I was at the time was Wayne's World. That that was absolutely the level of my friends and my friends at that stage. That's where I was. So that was a kind of like someone had almost made a film for us. It was just perfect. So it was a film that, one, I remember we all laughing hysterically and giggling in the cinema that I hadn't really done before. And then it was like always watched again and again and again. It was just, you know. It's funny that. you should. It's funny you should say and mention this because I was really into the Bill and Ted series, and by the yeah. time I know that it's all a part of a much of muchmus because Wayne's World is based off a Saturday Night Live skit, so it was contemporaneous with Bill and Ted. But to me, it was like a bit of an also ran in the Bill and Ted universe. That's just the way that I 
saw it because that's the order in which the material was right. was presented to me. But yes, it's, it, it definitely. Well, uh, it's it's very strange. I, I never saw Wayne's World uh, in the cinema, but I, I've never liked Wayne's World. I've always found them too smug, and like it, it is the Bill and Ted thing as well. It's it's a, they're an older, smug version of Bill and Ted, as far as I was concerned. And you know, seeing the film, and I know it's just a about them that just gets under my skin like when they're doing their product placement gag they just milk it so much that by the end of it you're just swearing at the screen I see so I don't know I kind of liked all that irreverence I like I liked um and it was like Bill and Ted is a good thing to associate really we had that kind of quotability you know that you everyone was quoting it though there's people going swing and like yeah. Oh. <laughs> the one thing I remember going to see uh, at the cinema um, in in 1992 was uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, in which none of my questions about the end of Twin Peaks were addressed or even really sort of dwelled upon. Yeah, uh, whatsoever. And, and had Twin Peaks continued, I imagine that would have stayed the fall. Yes. So there we go. That was that, that's. I mean, really, this is the thing. I mean, I'm noticing 1992. Not as. I mean, the other thing that uh, leaps out that I w- went to see at the cinema because I figured you pretty much should see this at the cinema was the Lawnmower Man. So uh, that that was the other thing that I saw. Briefly, I saw Hook in 1991, and I went to see this film five times. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, well, that was 1992 we were talking about. Was, yes, I mean, I think to be oh, fair, sorry, the best you can get out of um, yes. the best you can get out of the Lord Mower Man is to go and see it at the cinema. So, and then you know, I, so I probably made the right call on that one. Okay, so 1993, the year in which I became uh, 18, in the September of this year, this is when this all began. But we're talking about uh, trips to the cinema because yeah. weirdly, your thing that Justin that the cinema kind of died a bit of the death yeah, in the okay, early that. years in the nineties has become a thesis for the thing and I am noticing that if I look through the list I know the films yeah. but the number of ones I can actually recall going to a cinema to watch very, very low. It had yet to kind of come back in all yet, but but it was beginning to grow because there there were there were large films beginning to they were starting to do the big blockbusters would begin to emerge again. And 1993, I think I remember for Jurassic Park. Yeah, this yeah, was an, this was an event movie. This was like, you know, there are films up to this point, and this and you could say the same for uh, Terminator 2 as well. Was definitely in that, but this was a film where this was this changed the look of cinema. You know, I mean, yeah. you went there, and my God, there were dinosaurs. You could believe it. I remember, I remember there were hairs on the back of. On it, kind of standing up when I saw the Brontosaurus at the beginning, or whatever type of species it is. Anyway, when I saw that, I'm like, and you know, the, the, it's a perfect scene for that because it's set up. You see this thing, and you're meant to kind of draw in breath. I mean, you, you know, I'm sure the the effects have kind of dated, but at that time, it was like, wow, I'm actually seeing things only up to this point. I've had to try and imagine in my head that looks bloody real to me, you know. Um, so yeah, that that tef- definitely kind of affected me. I was I was just kind of knocked out by it, really. And uh, most of the CGI still holds up even today for lot, Jurassic Park. They spent a lot of money on it, you know. They really had to be good. So yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of the scenes and stuff you can't. I've, I've seen recently. And I'm like, yes, that is pretty good. That's I, not ne- I never saw Jurassic Park at the cinema due to yeah. the fact that 
when it came out the week of its release i was doing a youth theater residential so there was no way to really get to the cinema not that it disappeared immediately but then after the the play was done we were all very tired and then we had stuff to do so i just never got to see it at the cinema i've never seen it at the cinema to this day after the deserts of last year, I, I seem to have picked up for 1993 when I was 16, I suppose. Because um, there's a lot of films here I went to the cinema to see. Cliffhanger I saw. What else did I see here? Fugitive I saw. Groundhog Day I saw. I did not see Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> but did, did anybody? I have um, not seen Super Mario uh, No, I haven't. I, no, I haven't seen it. I, I've seen it on television. I've seen a part oh. on television and then my brain shut down. So no, I've seen. never seen it. I, I'm being quite impressed with Cliffhanger at the time, um, but uh, you know, probably my first proper forte into like cinematic action suspense thriller thing, I suppose. Uh, I didn't see that. I did not see Demolition Man at the cinema, which is strange because I mean, was that probably in eighteen, wasn't it? I no, don't know. Anyway, I, I su- it was a fifteen. Fifteen. Uh, I suppose if Jurassic Park is gone, because that's the obvious one to pick, I'll go for Cliffhanger for this year. It was my, f- my first Arnie, not Arnie, Stallone, Stallone. film I Well, saw. that's the thing, you see, I was not a big Stallone fan, so I definitely didn't see Demolition Man. Uh, to my cost, uh, later discovered for it is a good movie. Uh, but I think, for me, the keynote here is that the two movies that I remember going to see, or at least I remember one very specifically, which is uh, Red Rock West, uh, with Nicolas Cage, Lara Flynn Boyle and Dennis Hopper. When Twin Peaks came onto television, there was a brief period when David Lynch stuff and all that kind of modern, noir, American kind of weirdness sort of thing it took off for a brief while. And Red Rock West is definitely the twilight of this. I went to see it uh, in a cinema in Cardiff because I was with my mother going out for a day, and she had work to do, and I had to occupy myself for four or five hours. And I went to this cinema in the afternoon on, like, a Wednesday, and I was the only person in the cinema. It was like someone had put on Red Rock West just for me. I quite enjoyed it. And I, at some point in the year, went to see California with Brad Pitt, Juliette Lewis, David Duchovny, Michelle Forbes. And that was the beginning of the sort of also-rans of the Tarantino generation. Yeah. And remember coming out of that being profoundly like, well, it's not Reservoir Dogs, is it? Or True Romance. Mm. Like that. That was my only thought on California. But it just shows how the times were changing. We were switching over from Lynch to Tarantino in our sort of edgy cinema at that time so that was what was happening there and so on onward into 1994 where i'm imagining that me and ian will probably have been to the cinema quite a few times being as it was part of the yes general thing and let, let's let's say let's open up by saying i think we saw disclosure together did we see disclosure <laughs> together i believe we did oh god <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I remember seeing it, and I do remember going to the cinema to see it because it was just the thing that you you know I was doing. Uh, here's a thing about disclosure that should, should disturb people beyond anything else. Well, actually, it's like it's a film starring Michael Douglas, directed by Barry Levinson, based on a book by Michael Crichton, with a score by Ennio Morricone. Yeah, and it's like really. I mean, this is one of the key texts of cinema in the 90s was rubbish. I remember some reviewer describing it as a non-thrilling thriller. (laughs) 
Uh, just, <laughs> well, you know, Michael Douglas gets sexually harassed and might lose his job. You know? Oh, dear. <laughs> There's your plot, everybody. Dear uh, but to cheer, to, to cheer things up entirely, uh, let's talk about heavenly creatures. Did we go and see that together? We saw it together. I think you gave me some Odeon vouchers, and I saw it free, technically, on those with you. Yes. We, oh, right, cool. Yes, that was a good movie. I didn't see this yes. until much later. So, uh, yeah, I did. What did you see at the cinema in the in Um, I think it's actually looking through this, I don't think I could have gone to the cinema much this year because there's a lot of this stuff I didn't see. Not a lot of this stuff, really, I was excited to see, to be honest with you. Definitely saw True Lies. That, that was good fun. I That's remember. one I did not see. That was that was a, the spirit of that. I thought was was really good, and uh, and it was kind of like there's where do we have now? We haven't got yet to the uh, Pierce Brosnan, have we? No, that's coming later. So really, there was a kind of a gap with kind of spy films. You know, Bond had died, so this was this was definitely an attempt to do you know, oh, not really spies, you know, but it's but it's 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 that kind of area, you know. It's not properly Bond, but it's... Uh, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was actually, you know, because of the mix of comedy, really, I think that's what kind of lightened it. I thought Schwarzenegger was very good in it. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bit of fun. And, you know, it's got some memorable scenes. It's kind of like, you know, the, the kind of riding around, jumping across rooftops on horseback. It's quite fun and in, in elevators and um, and uh, flying the... turning up on the, on the, the F-16 or whatever flying that around that was quite good fun so yeah that was probably i mean there's not much else going on here yeah. well well maybe you know but i think i enjoyed true lies if i'm honest more than pop yeah. fiction ironically um like 1994 i'm looking through that list and we're not going to do it now obviously but i went to see a hell of a lot of things at the cinema right. that year so yeah that was crazy uh looking back i mean if i look up until that point I can pick out maybe one, two, or three cinema visits a year, right. and at that point, I can pick out six or seven. I mean, must be going to cinema at least once a month during 1994. Yeah. So there we go. So uh, 1995 rolls around. Oh, there's um, a lot here. Yeah, I, I was, it's quite packed. Um, this is. I'm off to university now, so um, you know I, I have my little allowance for my grant and things like that. And um, so you know, popping off the cinema on my Todd, just riding into town on the bus or walking in in Bristol, did that an awful lot. Saw Toy Story with my brother. He was like, "You've got to see this film," and I went to see it with my mum. It was like a family outing to go see Toy Story. Such a lovely film. But what else was there? Oh, there's like Batman Forever sort with all my mates. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, I think we got our first Bond return this year as well. Twelve yeah. Monkeys is this year. Uh, usual Suspects. When it's Usual Suspects, when I was in, on my Todd uh, whilst I was in university. Um, so there's, I also saw Waterworld. There's a, there we go. Justin? Yeah, yeah he, is, he is actually. This was quite... I mean, I think Twelve Monkeys kind of was very memorable I, um, I was kind of a bit blown away by that and Waterworld of course went which was you know what it was uh, the, the one, probably the one that affected me the most in the in the other way kind of direction though was probably Judge Red, which I've since grown to love actually Judge Red. but at the time I was such a purist for the comic strip that I was just horrified of what what Hollywood had done to my this know, is an outrage no, it's a legacy. I mean, I, I, my dad worked on 2000 AD. I was very familiar with the property and very protective of it. And so I was like, oh, my God, what is this crap that they've done to it? Um, well, I mean, it has however, to be. 
it has to be pointed out to be fair 18 years later was 18 years was not enough to wipe out the memory of that movie so that the new one which is much better which everybody agrees the point is the buzz on the new dread movie is amazing but it died the death because everybody went oh not that crap from 1995 however there are i say at the time i was really everyone else seemed to be liking it and i was really put out by it Uh, um but i did get the video DVD and I did watch it and I have liked and, I, and actually there are parts of it that are closer to uh, uh, the vision of not necessarily dread uh, but the universe than than the film captures. Um, so actually, probably my, my ideal my ideal version of dread would probably be a bit of a blend of them. Um, so I think actually it has some. It's clearly just a Schwarzenegger vehicle. I mean, sorry, a, a Stallone's vehicle. And I think that's what I learned to realise that I shouldn't be precious about it. It should be Judge Red, but it isn't really. It's just Stallone running around going, oh, I am And, you know, if you can get over that, it's quite an entertaining bit of 90s kind of sci-fi, really. I, that's what I've, I've grown to uh, kind of accept. Uh, but, yeah, at the I, time, I, I, was, I was vehemently hate, hating it. I went to see it with a friend of mine who had been, he's actually a friend of the family, who had been well into 2000 AD, you know, since it had started. Yeah. Um, And you can imagine coming out of the cinema with someone like that. Yeah. Uh, You know, after that, you know, just we went to see it together and came out and the best we could do, the best he could do was, you know, he wasn't that type of person given to nerd rage. He just kind of went, yeah, well, there we go. That wasn't really Judge Dredd, was it? No. Okay, then. Let's go home. And that yeah. was it. And 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 the thing about it is, uh, there has been a move to be more sympathetic to it for what it was. But honestly, I would say, personally, that the fact that it was a, a movie whose spirit and intention was that bad, it could ruin a movie made 18 years later, I'd say... I'm th- not sure it was worth it. I think, you know, the world would be a more interesting place if that movie did not exist. And that's that's the fact. Uh, so that, that's okay. where, where I come down on it. It's, it's weird because actually in 1990, which we'll discuss later, there's a movie which I think makes the world a more interesting place for its existence. But I shall save that for a subject of mystery. Let us gloss on to 1996. Where well, I was, uh, at, well, I was at university. Ian was at university. Where were you, Justin? Uh, well, I was, I was, uh, I was working. So uh, from, from, I was living with my parents, working from, uh, from there. Uh, and I think actually, I probably uh, it might be the next year. I, I, I did get a kind of a job working in a studio in London. Uh, but this was, this was, I was freelancing with that studio at the moment. So yeah, kind of busy time for me. So I think my memory of this. Well, in terms of, this is another cinematic thing, was Escape from L.A. Right, yes. Now, I was a huge Escape from New York fan. It's one of those kind of videos I used to watch with my friends. So, obviously, oh, my God, there's a sequel. It's got Kurt Russell. It's directed by the same guy. So, this is going to be amazing. And I sat there dumbfounded. This, I mean, I, I haven't seen it since, and perhaps I may see other things in it. And granted, there are some interesting, you know, satirical observations on the state of L.A. Um, However, the thing that I could not forgive it for was the fact that the effects were marginally better than Tron. 
And I remember watching this thing going, what is, if you're going to do a film, a sci-fi film, please have some money in it. It looked embarrassingly bad. And so I get, as I was watching, I got more and more wound up. And we were all, all my friends were kind of going, this is a stinker. We were just slating it. Walked out of the cinema and standing in the foyer was someone who just gave us a free packet of, of Frosted's cereal. Now, I, to this day, I am sure they did this, and it was you know, something the cinema was doing, just to stop people ranting and ranting, because it literally went, we were like, literally, we were screaming, and like, what the hell is this? And we just went, oh, and it just we just walked out dumbfounded. <laughs> I think, Justin, you do need to watch Escape from LA again. I watched it somewhat recently. I don't really recall why. I, I think it was just on television, and I watched it. When you look back on it with the benefit of it being kind of part of the soup of the 1980s and 1990s it's harder to hold it to account for the time that it was released because it just becomes part of the general melange of stuff that was about Um, and therefore you don't sort of focus on those and it's got some great stuff in it like looking back on it, Bruce yeah. Campbell as a crazy plastic surgeon, That's right. Pam I remember, Greer I remember, I remember as that a... scene. I liked all that stuff. That was that yeah. was well. If fun, you can, you know, when you look I back on that, it, uh, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I probably should. At the time, I was kind of insulted. Like you're making a film like this, and you, you know, it looks that bad. It's got a ter- um, it's got a terrific ending as well. But um, so yeah, I, I probably should look it back at you know. But at the time, yeah. But that was that was the most probably the most memorable experience I've ever had at the cinema. To be honest, just the strangeness. Um, but um, we also had the Frighteners, which I remember enjoying, uh, and Romeo and Juliet. At this time, I think my mate, my friends were going kind of going off to university. So actually, I was on my own quite a lot this year. Everyone just went. I, I went to university quite uh, to college, kind of much, much earlier than everyone else. Yeah. So it was kind of like I was looking at films, although you know. But yeah, so that's that's where I was. Ian, anything that stands out for you? Uh, yes, uh, two things do really. Um, one of them isn't so much a movie, but it was a kind of uh, TV movie event that happened in '96, which, which was the Doctor Who Paul McGann revival, oh, the American yeah, production, yeah. which I was just so excited about because it had been seven years as Doctor Who. And as you can imagine, I was, I was, you know, collecting all the right magazines to be just pumped, so excited for it. And the trick they did was they were going to release it on video a week and a half before it was going to be on television. And I was literally counting down the days until that video release came out. I was so excited. I remember going to bed that night and thinking, tomorrow I'm going to get up, go to town first thing when the shop's open, and buy a Doctor Who video and watch it all day. It was the most exciting thing in my life. It was a character-shaping moment, gentlemen, because this was also the time of the highly tragic Dunblane Massacre. And so uh, the Doctor Who co-production had a gun battle in it, street gangs fighting with guns. And so that they wanted that edited out of the UK release. And so that delayed the video release for a week. This is before the age of the internet, so there was no way to get this information filtered through to you until you go to HMV and it's bluntly tell you, it ain't here. And you go ring up BBC Worldwide and they go, yeah, it's been delayed for a week. And it's just the way, the processing of that for me, it wasn't like I was ranting or raving or upset or crying. It was just like a... Hmm. I must make a note to myself never to get excited about anything that much 
ever again, and I never have. It's always been like, when it's here, I'll be excited. Otherwise, it's, it's a, it feels like a kind of shame moment. I float that out there. But as a film, a proper film, I suppose we should talk about Independence Day, um, seeing as this, this is the year. Do, do any of you know what Independence Day UK is? Yes. You do. Uh, there was Dirk Maggs is a sort of radio producer guy. He was famous for doing uh, coin book adaptations on Radio 1. And basically what he did was a 45-minute drama. Uh, it's a radio drama, and it basically is Independence Day from the UK perspective. And it's this amazing little piece of eclectic time stuff, because I've never really seen it out again oh, since right. anywhere. And, you know, it's got Patrick Moore in it as well, for some reason. He's okay. one of the major, major characters. But it's 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 genuinely faithful to the film. And the first half of it is like a, a BBC radio broadcast and then announcing that the flying saucer... It's a reenactment of War of the Worlds, you know, where it's supposed to be a genuine radio broadcast. And, it, of course, it ends right. when London gets bombed and the BBC is destroyed. Yeah. And then and it bounces in and becomes like a cinematic... Uh, adventure for the remaining 20 minutes but it's just it's just an unusual piece of you know it, it was a very smart piece i think of localized uh sort of uh paraphernalia that that because it was the producers of the film are fully on board with this they gave dirk mags the gig to do it wow. so i thought good for them that's a very clever piece of marketing you've done there and i, I really treasured these few, few cassettes that i have that tie in this movie that i quite liked at the time which i saw with you again leo i think we met up met up in our summer holidays and we saw it together yes. but anyway yes. yes that was that's my uh, observation of the uh, well of course uh, a, a movie with a very similar plot to independence day uh, was mars attacks which I, I pick out because it's the typical of this year there are, i see things i saw at the cinema and then there are th- two or three where I was like, uh, I saw that in the cinema and it's very memorable because it was a memorable visit to the cinema. But then there are other things that I saw at the cinema which were a typical visit to the cinema, which is where you kind of slink across, because I was at university, I would slink across to the cinema, uh, maybe with some random sort of friends who just wanted to see the film or whatever, or maybe just going on by myself. Now, one of the things that I must have done in 1996 was that I went to uh, see things in the art cinema because I was living in London and in Hampstead of course they have many art cinemas well Hampstead, Camden, that kind of area so I made efforts to get to those but obviously you don't see in an art cinema the things that were released that year so I can't remember exactly when I saw some of the films I know I went to see uh, a Jim Jarmusch double bill at one at one of those cinemas and what have you but um yes mars attacks was more of a typical thing where i went to the the um odeon in swiss cottage and watched mars attacks and that's pretty much how my cinema rolled that year i would either be slinking in by myself because it was some arty thing and i was pretty much into the whole movie thing at that time and had the independence to go and see them or i was going in to see something popcorny like that and that's pretty much how it worked so we're we're coming to the end of the 90s now it's 1997 um and so i'm still i'm still in university at this stage because Ian, you and I were in university at the same time, were we not? I believe so. And and uh, Justin, I guess you were still working. I was, um, and I was. I I think at this stage, I was. Yeah, I was kind of. Yeah, I was still working for a studio in London. Uh, probably just about ready. Yeah, traveling up, commuting. So uh, doing that stuff. So busy. You know, busy time. My friends are come, coming back, drifting back from university this time. So I was probably seeing more films now. There's some interesting stuff here, actually. This is out of the films that I remember that had the most effect on me. I think probably number one has to be Event Horizon. That was... Mm. I, I remember um, 
the three, I think it was like four lads, we went to see that, and we and it was silence. We came out of that all rather disturbed. <laughs> I really like Event Horizon, but the first time you see it, it is quite, yeah, it kind of it hits you. It's it, it's quite it's quite powerful, you know. Yeah, so that 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 was definitely had a mark on us. And I remember getting quite excited about Star Wars at this time. This is before all knowledge of the prequel. So actually, I didn't mind at the time that that Mr. Lucas was revisiting these. I've since, you know, dismissed these. But at the time, the fact that Star Wars was on the big screen, I was happy. You know, so Star Wars, the trilogy, this was my childhood. And suddenly I'm going to see it at the cinema, you know. And it happens to have some extra special effects. It didn't bother me at the time, you know. I think uh, this is what marks me out as not really a Star Wars fan, is that I really don't care. The movie is generally, broadly, the same movie it always was. And anyone who says otherwise is a Star Wars fan. You know, that's it. I mean, it's just Star Wars. You say that with such disdain. Which bit do I? No, I mean, I remember specifically going to look at the... I remember specifically going to look for the extra stuff, obviously, because, you know, you've, I've seen these films dozens of times in my childhood, so I wanted to see what had happened. And, you know, and at the time, it was fun to see the old films with all the special effects in. I say, I'm, I'm happy just to watch the original now, but at the time, that was quite exciting, and it was on the big screen, and so, you know... I, I... If, if that been it from just Mr. Lucas's, you know, dabbling, uh, I think the only thing that I think was annoying was the fact that, you know... Hand, uh, the hand shot first kind of thing. That's the only thing that kind of sold that a bit. And then maybe that was, I should have guessed that, that you know, the dabblings of Mr. Lucas was going to lead to far more heinous crimes. But, but um, you know, I was still up kind of excited by it at this stage. Ian? Well, you know, Event Horizon, I've got to bring this up because it's it's the one I remember most vividly going to see. I saw it in Bristol and I saw it with a housemate. But it, it wasn't in my usual cinema I went to. It was, it was, this is like such an example of a time, because these days you see everything in a multiplex or something as close as damn to it. But this is like in a back street of Bristol we had to go find this cinema. It, it was, it was like you looked around the area and it was dismal. Uh, it's a sort of cinema in this really depressed area that no one else seemed to be around. It, and like, I think, think back in my earlier days and going to cinemas, like, yes, cinemas could kind of be a bit tucked away in town centre sometimes. You just wouldn't get that these days. It's impossible these days. So I have quite vivid memories of going to see Event Horizon and being appropriately impressed by it. Um, Fifth Element uh, I found quite, very enjoyable at the time. I've always been kind into kind of into those you know Aristotelian uh, elements. Have always kind of been a thing for me. So uh, I really enjoyed that one at the time. I suppose I still do. Yeah, I mean, just um, it's reasonably. I saw Batman and Robin this year as well, and I, I came out of that not hating it. I didn't think it was very good. I yeah, described was, it as like that well, was the only film that I've ever I've ever been warned off of by everyone I knew. So I my description go and see that. I'm glad I didn't. I, my review of this film is it's like I said it's like the filmmakers gave all the action figures to a kid and let him play with them for a while and wrote down what he did and turned it into a film. That's yeah. how I described it. So, but in many ways, it sort of gels into my feelings about the Batman series as a whole. So um, it didn't bother me too much at the time. Anyway, yes. Yeah, I, I didn't actually get to catch the Fifth Element uh, at the cinema, which I kind of regret because it has since become a favourite. But um, I noticed how many disappointing 
shooting films uh, were in 1997 for me. And, but it, the one thing I do, looking over all the cinematic disappointments that I experienced, like going to the cinema in 1997, the one thing that stands out for me is that I can remember more or less the cinemas that I went to see various things in. And it became that time where uh, everything changed. Like rather than, oh, I go to this cinema or I go to that cinema or whatever. It's the first time I remember... Being able to think, well, I was living in London, I could go any cinema, the cheapest cinema, with the show on at the best time. So I saw cinema things all over the place um, back in 1997. That's what I remember distinctly. So, yeah, that was uh, uh, very interesting. Yeah, for the to- just for the variety of buildings I went into to watch films and come out going, was that it? That was a bit crap. So, yeah, that that's... Um, yeah, that, that's what I remember from 1997. Now, in 1998, both me and Ian will have graduated university, so I went to work in a call centre in London uh, after spending a brief time at Blockbuster Video. And, Ian, what did you do straight after college? I, I got a work experience gig working for Chivers Audio Press in Bath and commuted for a year before finally moving to Bath, where oh, I remained right, yes. for so that's what you did, yes, while you were in the UK. Where it continually was work for the audiobook company. Uh, what Three were months? you doing in 1998? Uh, well, I can remember because this was actually when I moved out of my parents' house. So, you know, big times. But actually, it's also kind of... <laughs> it was interesting that I... Uh, this is my luck, really. The, the, the company that I've been freelancing for and commuting to London from, from Essex... Uh, actually offered me a job, so it was all very exciting. There I was. I'm going to be an illustrator at a at a uh, a company in London. Um, so my my friend, who's living in Streatham at the moment, uh, has a flat, uh, and uh, so I, I rent a room out. I I move up, and uh, a day before I'm due to move, um, the company goes bankrupt. <laughs> so there I am. Welcome to life as an illustrator. I said to go ahead with it because, you know, I, I kind of, obviously at this stage, really wanting to move out of my parents' house. So I move rather nervously to London without any job, without, you know, with my bare bones of a, of a freelance career under my wing. Um, and so, um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I managed to survive for about eight months. And then, you know, uh, and then I shall conclude that story in 1999. But... Uh, <laughs> So, yes, this was kind of an interesting time for me, certainly the, the, the latter half of it. And, and, what, and um, what did you see at the cinema in 1998? Well, yeah, this actually, I'm, I'm thinking maybe because of all this upheaval that was going on, I wasn't going to the actual cinema very much because a lot of these things I remember seeing on TV and dodgy videos or whatever. Um, maybe Save It Private Ryan, maybe, I think probably the summer before, before I kind of moved um, uh, Dark City as well, I seem to remember, which was quite an interesting film. I quite like that. Uh, I have to say, though, it's not really a big year for me looking at this. No. Nothing particularly jumping out. We're, we're, weren't running down to see Blues Brothers 2000 then? Uh, no, I didn't. No. Much as I love Blues Brothers, I Blues Brothers. I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to do a Blues Brother. No. Yeah. Ian? Again, it's a, it's kind of a meh year. 
Um, the only story I really have for this year, I, a group of my housemates, I, I was, I was, you know, because it was just finished university, I was going through my experimental phase of my life. So this was the brief period where I was sort of a Christian. Um, so uh, we was living in a Christian house. We all went to the cinema t- together as a group. And um, they were sort of, what should we go see? Because we couldn't quite decide until we got there. And the two films we could see, we could either go see The Count of Monte Cristo or we could go see the Lost in Space movie. And, you know, I had such fond memories of the 1960s TV series. But I managed to kind of do the duo, I want to go see Lost in Space. And I sort of came out of there going, okay, guys, I want to apologize to you. <laughs> you two lovely ladies who came out of the cinema with me and I made you go see Lost in Space. And we could have gone see the account of Monte Cristo. And it's like, I saw it later on DVD. I was like, I really blew that one, didn't I? <laughs> Oh, yes. actually, just looking down the Truman Show, actually, I remember that very vividly. That was a, you know, I think that was a good one of the year. But yeah, not much. Um, uh, the, this is from, from a cinematic point of view, and I think this is the end of what you were saying about. I mean, multiplexes had pretty much arrived by this time, yeah. but they, they mm, I don't think anyone still knew what to do with them. Looking at the list of films that come out, if you look at the cinema listings today, you know. They've learnt how to use a multiplex, but at yeah. this point, we're still getting a, a few things which are meant to pack people in, and then a lot of other stuff. Now, to a certain extent, I don't mind that, because in that slew of other stuff that might work, it doesn't make anyone a lot of money, but you might get a few interesting things through. Uh, one of which is not the Avengers, not the yeah. recent Avengers, but in fact, the remake of the 60s television series starring Ralph Fiennes, Uma Thurman and Sean Connery. I remember going to the cinema to watch this and absolutely loving it. Really? I thought it was hilarious. Watching Sean Connery run around the screen just as a giant pink <laughs> teddy bear was just <laughs> one of my favourite cinematic moments of that year and indeed of history. I haven't seen it again since. I, I have but, to say, I have not seen it in entirety. I've seen bits of it. It never really caught me. I never really had any inclination to watch it. I love to sit when, in the original. Maybe that's because of it. When I uh, when I, I, I came out, the TV I, show, but uh, yeah, I just didn't. Couldn't. Yeah, I'd quite enjoyed the episodes I'd seen of the original television series, and I watched the movie. And for me, the movie was like. I think that the writers were very conscious that the chances of them getting a sequel were very, 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 very low. And so they decided to cement that by making a film that just every possible idea were, that they liked went into right. that film. And that doesn't make a good film. It just makes a mess. And it was a mess. But it was a fun mess. And I think it is an unjustly okay. forgotten I'm intrigued now to revisit that. I'll find it somewhere. I am as well now, now that I've come to say I really enjoyed the cinema, haven't seen it since, must go back. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll watch it and go, God, really? (laughs) But the bit I remember was Sean Connery's head on top of the giant teddy bear body. And I was just (laughs) laughing my head off. I thought it was great. So, yeah, that's that's my... Cinematic uh, remembrance of of 1998, uh, which would obviously we'll go into that in more depth at another time. Uh, but now we come at last to the end of the 1990s. It's about to be the 2000s, which are going to get increasingly more 
big and more epic and more superhero-y as we go along. But this is in that little calm before that storm begun. In 1999, I decided to... jack. Well, first of all, the first thing, I started the year with a PlayStation. I had bought myself my first proper grown-up console (laughs) at that time. (laughs) And, and I bought it in the, the sort of the October of the previous year. So this is the point at which the PlayStation had become the thing. Um, and- oh, yes. And then you came to visit me and you brought your PlayStation and you brought Metal Gear Solid. No, we you. rented it from a blockbuster. You used your card to rent it and we played the whole thing in a weekend. Yes. I know. It was like, I, I still bought the game anyway. Yes, I still did. I still got a copy on my... I've got the GameCube HD version, but I still have my original PlayStation version and that same PlayStation, in fact. I still own them all. Um, yeah, same here. Yes. So, yes. Um, and so, essentially, uh, that's, that's a thing that's going to become more of a thing as we go, I suppose, through the 2000s. And this is something possibly pick up as a sort of, when we look back on it in a minute. But uh, cinema-wise, uh, Justin, what were you doing in 1999? Well, it was quite an optimistic time, actually. So I lived in Streatham and hated it. And, um, and then I got an offer to, uh, to move up to Nottingham with a very good uh, close friend of mine, and, um, which is, of course, how uh, the, the pro- byproduct of that was, was meeting Leo and Sue. Um, but so it was actually, you know, it was it was somewhere different. I wanted I was desperate to see something green and not London. So. Uh, so, yeah, it was very positive. I moved up. My freelance career was taking off now, uh, which was good. But I was also moving somewhere with friends much, much cheaper than I'd be paying. So it was happy times, I think, uh, at this stage. So I was going to see it was kind of getting very social. I was seeing quite a lot of films. So, yeah. So um, I guess there's, I can pick out three movies which I think people saw at the cinema in 1999, definitely. Uh, which of those three are you going to say, remember your cinema visit to see? Which of those? <laughs> well, I would like to be positive, okay? I would like to say Galaxy Quest because I. Oh, right, okay. That, that wasn't one of them. Bloody Hoot. And I loved it. And I would like to say Sleepy Hollow because I really enjoyed the gothic, you know, I mean, it's Tim Burton, you get what you pay for, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, however, my knowledge, my memory of 1999 has to be episode one. One, yes. It has to That's be. One, that was one of the ones um, I remember. And I was, what? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I was kind of stunned by that. I was, you imagine the expectancy of this film. And, um, uh, yeah, so I was a little disappointed. Was, uh, was, uh, when you saw The Phantom Menace for the first time, yeah. can you remember the exact moment where, you, where the excitement and hype, you know, was just fell away from your eyes and you went, oh. Because uh, I can remember now, mine. Um, ooh, now, let's see now. I'm just going to run the order of the thing. Um, well, it kind of, it was actually the moment I thought, "Oh, hang on," was the the blue scrawl because it was kind of not an exciting premise for the film. You know, it's kind of like, "Oh, trade agreements? Really? This doesn't really sound like this is going to be much fun." Um, and then it kind of went on being very shiny. Um, maybe Jar Jar Binks <laughs> was like, "Oh dear," I don't know. It's like the. the, the the pod race I really enjoyed and thought this should I should have just gone and seen this as a food as a as a ten minute cartoon before the uh, another film because I was like oh this is good and then it all was just yeah I think I don't know it was it was just beginning to settle in that this isn't really what I was hoping for. 
for, for me, the sort of precise moment where I realised I was bored was when uh, Qui-Gon is talking for the first time to Boss Nass in the underwater city, and I was going, oh. But I think the cementing moment was for me when they finally got to Tatooine, and I got all excited, and suddenly Qui-Gon's just yeah. sort of wandering around the market, and then they're going to yeah. a shop. I'm like, Tatooine's really boring as well. Oh my mm. god! Looking at, your, looking at your watch in, in the most anticipated Star Wars movie of of the decade, you know. I, I I think that for many people, I think the moment in which you knew that all was not that, I, that, that there was a disturbance in the force, as if a thousand people had cried out in agony and would suddenly silence. I think the moment was when the word midichlorians was oh, first that's, used. That's, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a good one. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> well, my my <laughs> rational. No magic. That's what tells you. There's no magic in the universe. My rationalisation for that was I thought George Lucas is covering himself because he's terrified about two-year-olds trying to fly out their bedroom window or something. So he's giving uh, out the explanation going, there's no force in our universe or in our galaxy. That, that's how I rationalised it to myself at the time. Well, I, I, there was no rationalisation. I think. I mean, I'm not a big Star Wars fan, so I couldn't really tell the difference. And then when they started going on about midi-chlorians in your bloodstream, which caused the force to happen, I kind of was in the same I went, that doesn't sound like a good no, idea, and no. that was it. And then from that moment, no, indeed, it was no, so. It's to be, you know, it's it's a mythology. It's meant to be magical stuff. That's the wonder of it. It's kind of, you know, shiny yes. and and science fiction, but it's also it feels very old and that, you know, and 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 the reason it feels old is it's all mystical and and weird and strange. And so you don't want it explained scientifically. That kind of just goes, oh, we're now now just into science fiction. But yeah, I agree. Actually, that was probably a key thing that I remember the actual dialogue going. Uh, so what? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you know, the Qui-Gon Jinn kind of dies at the end. Then you kind of go, yeah, this is. I'm not really feeling very good for the next one. This is kind of like the only decent character that I actually like in this film appears to have died. Oh, well, joy. <laughs> yeah, I was. There was a big. Uh, there was a big thing about that because, of course, one of the. Um, one of the tracks on the soundtrack was called Quigon's Funeral or something. I was like, yeah, thanks, guys. If I just buy the soundtrack CD, massive <laughs> spoiler on the back of it. But anyway, yeah, um, so, uh, Ian, your cinematic memory of 1999? Um, I suppose I'm going to have to go in Matrix. Yeah. I had, uh, I had one of my colleagues... Answer. Colleagues at work uh, came back from a holiday in America, and she'd seen Star Wars and Matrix because it was out in because it was out in America before it came out over here. And she was like, "Go see Matrix!" Like, what that that film where someone fires a gun and everyone goes in slow motion? Yes, go see that one. I think it's kind of a thing that Matrix just completely stole Star Wars thunder, you know, because it was such a bum note, Phantom Menace. And Matrix was just kind of like, my mind has been expanded. So yes, I went to see it with my brother and his well, his very recent wife at the time, and she didn't like it because she wasn't too into kung fu and all that violence. But I came out of it going like, "Oh my god, I think I've just seen one of the most awesome films ever made." Yes, I w- I must have been to the cinema to see The Matrix at least three times, if not five. I mean, it's as simple as this: no Matrix, no Inception, no. You know, I mean that—that's just a line. I mean, any kind, anything you can think of at the cinema, pretty much. I think that um, you know they might not see it this way, but Marvel owe a huge debt, huge debt of gratitude to the Matrix because yeah. the Matrix is what broke 
being able to do superheroes on the movie screen, really, because the characters in The Matrix, when they're in The Matrix, they are superheroes, and people bought it. Anything that's just... It, I mean, it's been a blessing and a curse. It's allowed people to do certain things. It's kind of blocked people off from doing other things. I think The Matrix kind of stops... You know, anything that's like David Lynch, um, Terry Gilliam, things like that, it's much more difficult in a world after The Matrix because The Matrix tells people what smart cinema, science fiction or fantasy cinema should be. Absolutely. But it's like, well, that's not true. That it's, The limit is your imagination. You know, um, if, if Terry Gilliam was just working on the script for Brazil at the time The Matrix came out, Brazil would never have happened. Because they go, oh, that's not smart science fiction. You're just being silly. And they would have scanned it. And this is exactly, you know, the problem that, that The Matrix causes at the same time as it opened up so many other things but yes the matrix was a massive game changer which yeah, i suppose we shall discuss in more depth absolutely absolutely now i would add that to the, the influential you know, I, I, I hadn't got quite down to that this 1999 is packed <laughs> yes and it, i have it's, to say that i'm packed with film yes That's the one um, we come around to that entertainment one. weekly defined 1999 as the year that changed movies so that's going to be a very interesting part of the 90s when we get to it. Yes. For several reasons, not just because of The Matrix, but also, I mean, I think the effect of Star Wars Episode One changed what people's expectations were from that as well, which has had yeah. a long-lasting effect. The last movie I would say uh, is probably worth not noting about people going to the cinema, being a cinema event in 1999, has to be South Park, the movie. I think because... There was. I remember a lot of people thinking that the minute it becomes a movie, South Park is going to, you know, it's not going to be able to do what it does on television. People thought that it was edgy on television, that a, a, yeah. a movie would necessarily end up being interfered with by the studio and blah, blah, blah. And in fact, the fact of the matter was, because it was still construction paper being manipulated at a rather cheap, it was not very expensive to make, Parker and Stone got away with murder. Yeah. I mean, that film to this day is still hilarious. Yeah. And I don't remember. The, the next time I laughed that much at the cinema was Team America. So that just yeah. goes to show. I was going to say, I think also because it was a film whose theme was about censorship, I think as a result they were able to push the envelope a lot more than they probably would be able to get away with otherwise if they were yes. being gratuitous about it. Uh, I, I but, had to, personally, I have to say just briefly, I, I mean, it, it took me a long time to get into South Park. And during the 90s when all my friends were raving about it and I watched this thing and I was... The artistic sensibilities in me overrid, you know, any ability to take on board what actually they were talking about. And I was, I was, I was literally horrified. I was like, this is what animation is? I can't watch this. It's making my... It's so ugly, I can't. And so I completely ignored it for years. And then when I finally actually got into it, I'm like, okay, I can't, I've kind of missed the point here. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, no, you're absolutely not. You know, there is, I should point out, I didn't like South Park until this movie. I never really watched it. And then people told me it was really funny and I had to go and see it. So I thought, go on then, I'll go and see it. And that's the point at which I got South Park. But Parker and Stone admit, when they started South Park, they had no idea what they were doing. They said, we didn't know how to write, and uh, we didn't know, we, 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 we had an instinct about the animation style, which we followed, and we're very grateful that we did, but 
it didn't really work for a long time. And then, you know, you get later on when they did the, the anime episode and then the three-parter with all the Marvel sort of superhero rip-offs, like Mintbury Crunch and all that. And they say, no, we could do a really sophisticated animation, but that's not what South Park is. And th- therefore, they allow themselves, I mean, the artistic sensibility... I always think that one of the big examples of the difference between people who've learned to draw and people who haven't uh, can be demonstrated with the use of the uh, webcomic XKCD, which is all stick figures. But the thing about it is that the difference between someone who can compose a picture and someone who can't is... When you look at XKCD, you know in every frame what is going on, who is relating to who. You can almost kind of see people's facial expressions from their bodily posture, all rendered as stick figures. I mean, that is a kind of genius because your tools aren't very sophisticated, and yet you can tell. If you have someone who can't compose a picture, they draw some stick figures, and it looks like they've been scrawling all over a notepad page. And that is the difference between composition skill and not composition skill, is that, that... you can put something very simple together and it makes very complex images that people can view and see what's going on instantly. And that's what South Park became, is that it's simple, but there's a lot of complexity in what is being done. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, and I kind of regret kind of being quite so dismissive of it, but I did have a a problem. But then, you know, at the time, you know, I was kind of worshipping at the font of Disney and for me... Everything was about that high level of skill, you know. I, so it was, it was just completely not for, possible for me to accept it. No, I, I think Parker Stone would say, you know, Parker and Stone would say, don't bother with season one. It's just not very funny, not very well written, and not very well animated. But as it's gone on, they've really had a chance to grow into it. Sorry, Ian, you were going to say something, and I cut you off with that little terrific. No, no, no. I, I don't. I don't think I was really. I, I think we we, we kind of come to the end of of the, of, of the yes. millennium, and and that is. I mean, that is as good a place to say. I mean, I think the interesting thing about that is that I was kind of uh, aiming for a show in which we talked about our recollections of the nineties before going into them in some depth, and I think what's interesting about it is that idea of the what happened to cinema during the the nineteen nineties. And I think it is definitely the case that, you know, in the 1980s, you had fewer screens and therefore you had bigger movies and things were all very organised to, te- you know, and, and these films were world dominating. Such things as Ghostbusters were world dominating because they had to be. And then in the 2000s, you've got the multiplex and there's far more variety and far more choice and things are there and they become, you know, big in a second and then they, they, they go out of the cinema but there's this endless train of varieties of entertainment and the 1990s are really the middle year the middle ages the dark ages of that transition and and i think that's what we've kind of demonstrated with our i think, I think, I think the thing that having done this the thing i'm excited about is the fact and i was going to mention it to leo earlier is the fact that actually in the 80s you know i can't really separate years from what i was doing you know when we're all very young you're going to be going to school and that's about it um whereas for me it's probably the same for the other guys that um the 90s was when i was you know definitely doing more stuff and making more choices in the world and so therefore those films have a real you know they're anchored to certain points of my life so actually they even though i might in my mindset be loving the stuff from the 80s 
the 90s films are important things for where, placing where I was. So I'm quite, yeah, I'm actually quite excited about about the shows now. Well, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think the 90s are going to be a really useful, or not useful, but uh, what's the word? I think the 90s are going to be a really, his, uh, there's a lot of upheaval going on in our lives and in the world of cinema, and it all kind of mirrors itself. I'm, I'm pretty much got an instinct about the 2000s that when we get there, it's just going to roll into this comfortable multiplex fair. Suddenly, everyone starts to get the idea until we get towards the, the modern day where, you know, pretty much everybody knows where it is until the next upheaval uh, is going to come along. But uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things about 1999, as I mentioned, is that 1999 is the year that video games were went from something you did on a clip on an actual computer in your bedroom when you were a kid to another form of entertainment mass entertainment which is going to have to well so the 19 and and in between sort of 1990 and 1999 that didn't happen you had you know mega drives and n64s and all sorts of stuff like that but it it was again video games as well went through this period of not really being a thing so yeah the, this is going to be describing a sort of watershed period yeah. a decade where everything was lost so that's going to be really odd to, to step through i think but if people wish to make their feelings known about the 1990s where might they go to do that ian well one place they could go would be our facebook page which you can find on facebook slash revenge of the 80s kids and that's 80s as a numbers so 80s that is our community hub please go there and leave a comment like our page and uh, of course that's where we put up our podcast and links we find interesting and then occasionally we have discussions but uh, podcasts are what it's all about and for that you want to point your web browser towards 80s kids and that's 80s as in letters so e-i-g-h-t-i-e-s kids dot bottom at dot com uh, please go there and some subscribe to a podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download directly to your pc for dark reasons of your own uh, but of course this is not the only place you can be found on the internet no indeed on uh, leo's page we can find our archive so what's your address leo uh, it is uh, leostableford.com that's basically easy enough to find and yes we've got an archive leading up to all the shows that aren't there uh, and, and and if you want the newer shows you have to go to the podomatic page currently uh, soon uh, it, work is in fact underway on the graphical look of the uh, of the archive page so stay tuned for that coming soon um, and also uh, last year obviously I was doing my fairy tale thing and I haven't quite got my feet under me to put something out this year of a similar nature yet but within the next month I would say I will also be introducing a sort of Wattpad uh, project which you can keep your uh, eyes on uh, my page to, to view uh, Justin where else might people find you on the internet? Uh, you can check out my Deviant Art page under the name Justin Wyatt, W A W T, and there are plenty of examples of uh, put some stuff up recently uh, of the general doodlings and things I've done in the past. So yeah, you can find stuff there. Um, but yes, so now there we are. We've 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 trotted through uh, cinematic adventures of the 1990s, and and I think I mean in retrospect. I think when you go, to, I mean, yeah, towards the end of the 1980s, I was going to the cinema a bit on my own, but I did obviously live at home, and so therefore there was a limited number of cinemas and a limited number of it. You know, going to the cinema. <laughs> Swansea was... had one cinema. That's why the Odeon no, no, closed no, no, down. No, 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 no. It had two. It had the castle. Yes, the castle, which is now a laser 
dome. Oh thing. no, that, that 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 closed down when I was in school. I, I went to Catherine, see. Catherine, I went to see the Golden Child in the castle. Well, you may well have done, but they, <laughs> Catherine Zeta Jones came and opened it as a laser quest. Though. I remember yes. that was in, I was in school at the time. So yes. for the, the longest time, Swansea just had the UCI multi multi cinema, the ten screen. That's all we had. It was a one cinema in Swansea. Oh, so you don't remember the Odeon? Oh, I remember the Odeon. We've been to the Odeon, but the Odeon shut down, and then it yes. was just the UCI. Yeah, because UCI, that, that was the crossover, and then it was just the multiplex, yes. And now Swansea has two multiplexes, one of which, ironically, the UCI turned into an Odeon, and uh, now it has a view cinema as well. Um, so, yes, so Swansea has two cinemas at this time. I don't know if it has enough people around to justify that but it does so there we go um but yeah so um yeah the point being that uh you watch television in the lounge and you went to the cinema at the one cinema that you had the choice to go to so that's where you ended up going whereas you know later on in the 1990s the number of cinemas i visited to see all the films i wanted to see grew enormously so i think there is a, an, an, uh, an element of cinema odyssey about the 1990s. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's going to be quite an interesting thing to unfold and say, well, this is why I experienced it's, it's, this. It's definitely the fall and rise of cinema in the 90s. It's an interesting... So, story. yeah. So uh, with that in mind, we set our, our sights forward and uh, 1990, Virgins on the Horizon. So until then, or indeed, as Ian likes to refer to it, 1980-10. So, uh, yeah, uh, until we see that new dawn come and look forward to the interesting times of the old Chinese proverb I will say goodbye farewell goodbye Howdy, gentlemen, and I suppose, um, hello me. Uh, this is Ian, and if you're listening to this recording, you have a problem. If things have gone wrong, then right now, you all have towels wrapped around your head. <laughs>